1: is Talking Strange. Aloha, spooky nerds, and welcome to Talking Strange, a paranormal pop culture show with the Den of Geek Network, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and right here on your live stream platform. I'm your host, journalist, author, researcher of weird things, Aaron Sagers. You can also catch me as the host, on the Netflix series, 28 Days Haunted, and on the Travel Channel Discovery Plus show, Paranormal Caught on Camera. And I want to get right to today's guest, this gentleman that I can't say that I know super well, but I have known him for a long time. And every time I connect with him, I'm just stunned by the wealth of knowledge that he has. He's like one of those people that I reach out to and be like, hey, Cliff, uh, what's the lowdown on this? And uh, indeed, for a good reason. Uh, because he has been doing bigfoot field research since 1994 and his expeditions have taken him to 46 states, five continents in search of evidence supporting the existence of undiscovered hominoids worldwide and he was the evidence analyst you probably saw him i don't know how you could not have been have, how you could not have seen him because he was the evidence analyst on animal planets hit television show finding bigfoot which ran uh, for 100 episodes 7 years 2011 and 2018 He has also applied his skill and expertise to a variety of photographic, video, film, and sound evidence. He's appeared on many, many other television shows and documentaries as a Bigfoot specialist and cryptozoologist. And he and his wife, Melissa, own and curate the North American Bigfoot Center in Boring, Oregon, which features the largest public collection of Bigfoot evidence in the Pacific Northwest. And since... April 2019, he has been hosting the Bigfoot and Beyond podcast, which also has a Patreon with his buddy and former co-star from Funny Bigfoot, Boba Faye. And I have to say, it has one of the best podcast theme songs pretty much ever. My guest is Cliff Berkman, and here he is. Cliff, thanks for joining me, man.
0: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for the invitation. I'm always happy to talk to you.
1: Yeah, I I appreciate it. It it was crazy because as you do when you are looking for someone's email or whatever, you know, I'm I'm a bit of an email harder. I am very bad about clearing out my inbox, but I was kind of just looking up your name to get a jog on your email address. Last time I, I shot you a message and I found a note that like a couple notes, a thread that we exchanged back in end of 2011, I guess before. Before Finding Bigfoot had officially premiered, or when they were doing the press tour, and then some emails between—I don't. Do you remember Brian, the the publicist from yeah, Finding yeah, Bigfoot? Sure. Yeah.
0: yeah, I yeah. love Brian. He's wonderful. Yeah,
1: yeah. I ran into him actually at New York Comic Con um, in October, I guess, and that's what he's now working for this anime uh, company, Crunchyroll, and it's just like what a weird little universe, we all kind of move about in where it's almost like we're playing at being adults, but uh also just big kids. Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. At, at least that's my take. I don't know.
0: <laughs> no, no, I, I totally agree. And my gosh, if you run into Brian again, please send him my love. I, I just adored him. He was wonderful. Um And as far as, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I kind of think it's like, I, I run a Bigfoot museum. Is that an adult job? I'm not so <laughs> sure it is. I don't know
1: yeah i it's i mean it's not a bad it's not a bad universe to exist in when that's what you get to do uh, until it comes to like the the tedium i'm so bad at that I, it's mm. the you know the dealing with the bills and the taxes well, and all yeah. that yeah <laughs> well,
0: all, that, all that's the price you pay but at the end of the day i think what um what i've learned through my existence my strange career path and and all the things that have dropped in my lap, is that uh, the universe, it turns out, is extraordinarily malleable. Um, Like, if you can, um, I'm not saying dream it, I'm not a goal-oriented kind of guy either, but um, it's astonishing how you can actually create your own reality. Uh, I mean, I I went to college, I got a degree in jazz guitar, I taught elementary school, I started on a TV show for practically a decade, and now I own a Bigfoot museum. I guess it's a standard career path, I don't know, I don't understand.
1: Yeah. And, and this is kind of an odd place to start, but, you know, I've heard you say on the Bigfoot and beyond podcast that, that you believe in magic and, and that is a, it's a phrase that, you know, it's, it's very subjective. So I was kind of curious to hear what your, your take on it is and, and how does, how is the universe malleable in your, in your opinion? Beats the hell out of me, and the whole thing's a mystery. Honestly, um, everything about my life is
0: astonishing and jaw-dropping to me, and I'm I'm trapped in the middle of this drama, this swirly, uh, miracle-ridden, ridiculousness. You know, I don't know even know how to describe it, honestly. Um, but I, I I believe in magic, sure. I don't know what magic is, um, but I, I there's something weird going on. Turns out the universe. I mean, I'm a big a big fan of a lot of uh, philosophers and whatnot. And um, I, I remember who said it, but it, somebody said, uh, the universe is not only stranger than you think, it's stranger than you can think. Um, and I'm totally on board with that. Uh, and I, I I often reflect, now, now magic, of course, magic and technology are completely indistinguishable if you don't know what the hell is going on in technology, right? Um, so there, there, I think there's perhaps a more um, metaphysical technology that, that we don't understand very well. And when I look back, uh, you, you know, for example, we're here in 2020. It's been 150 years ago, 150 years, that's not very long. It actually, we didn't know about germs, you know, like germs, (laughs) and I I keep reflecting about um, the humanity's hubris and about how we think we know so much and whatever. And I realized, no, no, science and that sort of technology um, is literally in its infancy right now, literally infancy. Um, and in 500 years, we'll be so much further, you know, along the line and and what people perceive as magic. And when I say magic, I say it real loosely. Um, th- there's something going on, but I don't know what it is. You'd have to talk to John Tenney and those guys about that. You know, yeah. they, they like, they're, they're pretty good at wrapping words around it. I, I focus my efforts, um, on biology stuff. You know, I, I'm a big science advocate and science is its own sort of magic in a way. Magic's just a word. Words. I, pretty meaningless i don't
1: know if you're if you're a fan of comic books or the mcu or that kind of thing but the i actually did enjoy it when they started releasing the thor movies and they start talking about asgard and it's like just this advanced technology on another planet but to us it's the it's the work of gods and magic and and I, i think that applies it's but you know people and and hubris and that confidence about the world and how the world works, it's frustrating, but it's also entirely understanding because understandable because it provides people comfort. It it provides comfort that we know how this world operates or we think we know because if we don't, well, damn it, it's going to get real. the, The potential is wondrous in my opinion, or very crazy and unsettling
0: yeah on a surface level and which is where most people like to be because it's most comfortable see humans are human, people in general don't seem very uh, comfortable with a lack of resolution you know um, I'm perfectly content floating, personally, but I've, I've, most other people are not at all. And um, we we saw oh, we can describe this, we understand how it works. But you know, when you go one step deeper, like like physics, for example, you know, I'm, I'm a science nerd. I like physics. I'm a big ast- astronomy fan. You know, I have, I have my own telescope, all that stuff. Um, it was all oh, we know how that works. We have we have we have uh, um, you know uh, complicated you know things that explain all that. You know, mathematical concepts, etc. But at the same time. Who's to say that math should describe the universe? You know, that, that in itself is bizarre and possibly even unsettling for some. Like who's, there's no reason that some sort of numerical concept of quantities should, can or should be manipulatable um, to describe what we observe. There, there's no reason for that. And there is a baseline magic thing right there. Magic, you know, again, it's a weird word, I don't particularly like it. It doesn't, but I also find that most words um, don't quite wrap around the concepts in the way that I'm hoping. Um,
1: Yeah. No, it's true. It's, um, I, even when you use the word paranormal or when you, when we start talking about this stuff, the language, yes, and perhaps you have the tennies of the world that are good about um, not explaining it, but wrapping the right words around it. But the words just fail us. Paranormal. It's yeah. it's like, you know, okay, sure. Yeah, we can put Bigfoot and Sasquatch within that. But it doesn't quite fit me. Oh,
0: it doesn't even come close to fitting that. Yeah, no. that's what I'm going to say. It's like putting... It's like a, f- a friend of mine told me that fishing is paranormal. No, it's not. There's nothing paranormal about fishing. And there's also nothing paranormal about Sasquatches. Yeah, nothing.
1: So you're... Okay, then Then there, here's a question for you. The You explain... For people that might be more fascinated by Bigfoot and Sas- the Sasquatching uh, community in a general way, why would you break Bigfoot, Sasquatch uh, out of the paranormal category?
0: Well, the same reason that I don't put bears in the paranormal category. Bears are perfectly normal biological animals that evolved on this planet, in this reality, in this dimension, whatever that means. They eat, they poop, they have sex, they reproduce, they do all the biology stuff that we expect of regular animals. Why? Here's my question. Why would anybody put Sasquatches in the paranormal category?
1: Well, I would say that based on, and I'm not the researcher here, but based on the definition, is that it's not currently definable by science.
0: I beg to differ. I mean, it's a primate. It's some sort of great ape, just like we are, but similar, but different in other ways. Um, There's a lot of defining definitions about, or there's a lot of definitions about Sasquatch that fairly fit in the scientific category. Um, now, what the problem was is that before the 19, late 1980s, early 1990s, which was very recently, you know, um, we were both alive then, right? That's pretty recent. Um, anthropology had a model of human evolution that was wrong. Um, now, my, they always say the theory of evolution and then the creation is all. So, this is a theory. You don't really know what you're talking about. Yeah, the gravity is a theory, too. Relax, drop something, it's going to fall, right? We know evolution is a fact but we're still tweaking it and figuring out how it works. That's why it's a theory, right? Um, it, until the early 1990s, the idea of human evolution, um, the theory behind human evolution was called the one species hypothesis, where one species evolved, like I'll just say Homo um, heidelbergensis, okay? He- hold on, Homo heidelbergensis was here, Neanderthals showed up and they were just better at being alive. So they outcompeted. competed they said, Homo heidelbergensis and drove them extinct. And then Homo sapiens showed up on the scene and we were just better and smarter than they were. And we drove Neanderthals extinct. Um, So they had this idea of this unbroken chain. It it actually goes back to the 1600s with Linnaeus, the father of taxonomy. Um, And this unbroken chain of being, it's a biblical Christian idea. That's where the idea of um, missing link comes from. Literally from that chain, the chain of a link. Missing links don't exist. It doesn't work. They never. We've known that for a long time. But it turns out that's not how human evolution works either. It's not a trunk of a tree moving forward. It's a, it's a bushy sort of thing with tons of different tendrils and branches coming out. And many of these branches die off. And some of them last a lot longer um, and are parallel to one another in time as time moves on. Um, for example, in the last 100,000 years alone, we know that Homo sapiens were here, Neanderthals were here, Homo Denisovans were here, Homo luzonensis, Homo heidelbergensis, the last Homo erectus, uh, um, Homo nalidi, then that's off the, oh, Homo longi, there's a a couple I'm missing, that's eight off the top of my head in the last hundred thousand years. Um, And so now that we know all these things coexisted, who's to say that they're all extinct? Who's to say that we have found every single one that is out there? that's what sasquatches are this idea of a relict hominoid a relict relict is a bi- biological term that means still existing in small numbers even though they were probably once more populous and a hominoid is means human shaped thing so we because we don't know the lineage of sasquatches yet i have my ideas but we don't know that for sure but sasquatches are relict hominoids just like Orang Pendex or or Gogo or the Tari of Vietnam or the uh, Ye Ren of China. All these are are relict hominoids. And there was not a place for them in the anthropological model before the 1990s. And that's that's why all the 60s and 70s and the heyday of Bigfoot, when it first came on the scene and people started learning, like when I was enthralled by these TV shows and schlockumentaries on TV, there was not a place for them, which is why anthropologists rejected them. With the logic, they cannot be real, therefore they're not, which is a very anti-scientific statement in my opinion. But now there are there, 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 are, there is a place for them in the anthropological model. In fact, as recently as the 2004, eh, I don't know, don't quote me on that date, but around 2004, Scientific American um, published uh, the, the 10 greatest questions in anthropology today. And one of them was, are other hominins alive today? That's a real scientific question. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, Dr. Gregory Forth, a world-renowned anthropologist from Alberta, Canada, he, he published this past, or last 2022, a book called Between Ape and Man, because his studies on the island of Flores... Um, which is the same island Homo floresiensis was discovered. By the way, his studies with the local people down in Flores indicate that these people, the, the the local indigenous people of the east side of Flores are still seeing short hair covered hominoids of some sort, and they are they're not only in the culture and what, but they are actually con- they're sightings present day. So. This is a real scientific question at this point. And that's why Sasquatch fits very well into the scientific paradigm at this moment.
1: And and please let me clarify that I'm not saying – I'm saying based on the definition and the, the TV definition of paranormal especially, like it fits within paranormal – that way yeah, but, but tv definition tv is junk look, food
0: for the mind at best and take that from somebody who was on a tv show for a, practically a decade junk I, food for the mind don't learn anything from tv if you can help it i don't even I, believe most of the shows
1: i'm on your side cliff i'm, I'm <laughs> i mean like look i i am on your side and and the more you know having traveled quite a bit and i know you you've you've traveled quite a bit it's talking to people and learning about the folklore and speaking to indigenous peoples and the stories that they're telling and continue to, to tell and the things that are being seen in Indonesia, like, yes, it, it is mind blowing and it is not something that I would dismiss. Um, so, and, and having folks like Jeff Meldrum on this, on this show, I definitely am picking up what you're throwing down. So I am, I'm on your side with that. Now that said, uh, I do want to ask just I I want to get into the podcast, obviously. But what were some of the big news items of the year from 2022 or some things that you're kind of looking at breaking or looking that that will be broken in 23 that might contribute to this field?
0: Why? You know, I don't really know, to be fair, because I don't pay attention anymore. Um, it's gotten to the point where I'm so busy with my own things and all the other stuff on the outside has become white noise to me. Um, all the, it seems that the Bigfoot community and in paranormal community in general, but particularly, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't pay attention, but um, Facebook and whatnot, Facebook seems to be mostly used to show off what kind of mental illness you have, as far as I can tell. <laughs> like with, with the, the comments that I get, and there's some very, very kind people, but, man. but you know how it is. You receive a hundred compliments and two people throw, like flick crap at you and those are the ones you remember. Uh, It's become just a cesspool of vitriol and hatred, as far as I can tell. Um, So I don't go on social media and and whenever I I, unless I'm putting something out like, hey, this is on sale at the museum or hey, I'm going to be appearing on this thing or at this place. That's what that's what social media is for. As the inventors of social media said themselves, if you're not selling something on social media, you are the product. So I don't go on it. I'm not interested in being a product. So I don't know what's going on out there in the Bigfoot community. But, I, you know, things pop up every once in a while and they cross my desk, so to speak. And when I ask other people who are paying attention, nine times out of ten, it was like, oh, that's yeah, just that person doing that thing. Or don't pay. You don't have to worry about that. It seems that most of the time people are trying to put attention on themselves, not the animal. And I am completely against that. Um, the, the The focus should be on the animals themselves. Not the researchers. So as far as news out there, important things that are happening, honestly, I, I was on a podcast last night with Dr. Russ Jones, a good friend of mine and a great researcher out of West Virginia. We were talking about that, about this. Yeah, there's probably a few thousand people, maybe two to five thousand people who are fans of Bigfoot. You know. But when you really get down to it, and there's a lot, there's a, there's a good number of quote-unquote researchers or investigators, but most of them, they look for citing reports or talk, try to talk to witnesses, and that's where the road ends. The road ends. One, re, one researcher said to me just last month, oh no, I was arguing with him about this. No, Cliff, it all, be, it, it all begins with the, with the witnesses. Said, no, yeah, I, mean, I don't think so. Uh, it may begin with them, but that should not be where it ends to hmm. me to me. Now, I'm not faulting anybody, some people love to talk to witnesses. Some people just love to write down stories and then share them and tell the tales around the campfire. But that's If that's your gig, that's great. That's not pushing the subject further down the field, in my opinion. Um, I, I am more of the opinion that we need to learn about the animals and take less focus on the people. Um, And and people always ask me, what's the scariest story and what's the most exciting thing that's ever happened to you in the woods, and that sheds a lot of uh, light, to me at least, on um, the human condition, because humans have been around for at least 300,000 years in our current form, you know, more or less. Uh, Homo sapiens were present here 300,000 years ago, and mass media was invented about 500 years ago with the printing press, so for damn near all of our history, information was passed on around the fire. And, that's, and, we're, and we're either genetically programmed or epigenetically programmed to love stories. Um, and that's why people go there. What's the scariest thing that ever happened to you? They want to be moved by your story. And I think that uh, that's not a fault. I think it's a fact. I think that's something that, that happens in the Bigfoot and actually probably paranormal world too. But I, I know even less about the paranormal world than I do the Bigfoot world. Um, I know about Bigfoots. Mm. I don't and I could care less about the people. I stay focused on the animals themselves because that's where the focus should be.
1: And and I certainly appreciate that the research that's being done by a small select group of people, it's important to do scientific research. Now, that said, the human element for the mainstream. OK, it, I don't think necessarily one story is going to convince people out in the mainstream. However, Do you think that there is a benefit and you have the museum? Do you think there's a benefit to working with the public to encourage them to come around to the notion of this? And how do you do that without necessarily just falling into uh, the danger of like, and then this one time this guy said this and here's the story. See where I'm going with that?
0: Um, is there a benefit for the public to be interested in Sasquatches? Not really. Um, not, I, don't, I don't see it. it. I mean, pays my bills. People come to the museum, um, but at this, it's, it's not a money thing. Not a money grab for me either, because there's lots of ways I could be making a lot more money than I am now. I'll tell you that. But my bills are paid, and I make. You can only make two amounts of money in life: enough or not enough. I'm blessed with enough at this point. Um, my bills are paid. I'll never be rich, um, and hear about the museum and, and the podcast and whatnot, then I can get citing reports. And I'm sure some of you are going, wait a minute, you just said that people are, no, no, citing reports have a use. I think that they are overemphasized in the community. And the use of citing reports is a, basically a dot on a map. A dot on a map is where most of it ends, unless they are, the Sasquatch is observed doing something unusual like knocking against a tree, or killing an animal of some sort, or carrying something, or in a peculiar place, but really time and place is the most useful thing, because that data, there are Sasquatches in this area, they keep showing up at this time of year, in this general spot, that can drive field work. And that's what I'm interested in. Field work is the only way that we can learn more about Sasquatches and what they need and what they're after and where they might be. And I'd, I'd kind of like to film one. I think that would be fun to try mm-hmm. to film one. Um, but and i would kind of even stopped going out at night because if I want, if I'm going to film one, I want it to be during the day. So I'm really mostly focused at this point on my field work of gathering uh, footprint evidence. Um, And then trying to film one. I haven't filmed one yet. I saw one through a thermal imager years ago. I haven't filmed one yet. But um, the footprint thing to me is very, very intriguing. And I think everybody should be trying to collect footprint casts. uh, But I I also recognize that that's just because I'm interested in that. I want people to enjoy the subject in whatever way they're interested in it. Um, But I can only, you know, I'm trapped inside my own skull and I see things from my own perspective, just like we all do. Um, I think that um, the footprint cast is probably the most important thing we could be doing right now is collecting footprint casts because all mammals are are, are notoriously difficult to study for the most part. Um, bears and whatever, and wolverines, most of these mammals are hardly ever seen um, considering the numbers of them out there. They're hardly ever seen. They're mostly nocturnal, very elusive. So we learn about the animals and their needs and their requirements and, and habitat and social structures and, all, and foraging um, uh, strategies and all these things by studying their, their prints, basically, their footprint tracks. Um, and that's what I'm trying to do with Sasquatches right now.
1: Yeah. I guess the reason I ask about the public element to it is, I I will say that my concern is that the specimen, the specimen that we get, the the body is going to be a body. It's going to be someone shooting it, and it's going to be a a endangered species. That okay, here's here's the dead body, and and also sort of um you know the jaws effect. You know we after uh, Peter Benchley's book and then the movie that uh, we were afraid of sharks, and and that is a battle that is still being wage that um, they're not yes respect sure but not necessarily something to be afraid of and to be walking around like or swimming in the ocean terrified of getting eaten by a shark so education goes a long way but when the stories and the media is coming at people and people are going to tell those stories but when it's coming at them and the constant fear baiting then the more insightful educational stuff is not breaking through we're,
0: yeah, and, and the education of the public is one of the three main uh, thrusts of the North American Bigfoot Center, my museum. We have a we have three main goals in mind. That's that's our that's our mission statement. And the first and foremost is to educate the public. Um, now, uh, Sasquatches aren't going to be any easier to find after they are an academically accepted species. They're still going to be extraordinarily elusive, very difficult to find. And amateurs like myself, and I say amateurs I'm not part of academia, um, are still going to have a role to some degree as long as we are approaching this subject in a scientifically minded, sober sort of way. Um, Because we're the ones that are going to be finding the footprints out there because academia is writing, are they writing grants and teaching classes and doing stuff in universities. Um, Most of the stuff is still going to come in from the public. Um, So I think so educating the public that these things are perfectly normal animals and they're out there and they've always been out there. So you don't have to change your habits. Hunters don't have to stop hunting um, because these things are out there. They're out there now. Nothing will have changed after discovery, except that we will be more aware of them and therefore more able to protect them and the habitat in which they live. Um, And which is the goal, of course. Now, I'm not trying to shoot one. Um, I'm not a gun guy. I have firearms, but I'm not a gun guy. I know gun guys, and that's how I know I'm not one Um, because it's not my hobby, right? Um, And and guns are your thing. Do Whatever. Go for it. Um, Enjoy your life the way you choose. Um, But I think there may be another way to proving the species. And I, it didn't occur to me until I was having a conversation with Dr. Todd Disitel. Um, He's at, at a university out in Massachusetts, and he spe, specializes in genetics. I met him, um, we've been aware of each other for a while, and he came out to hear me speak when I was back uh, at Lauren Coleman's conference a few years ago. And we had a great conversation, um, and he said that he thinks DNA might be able to do it, but I kind of came back and said, you know what, man, that's because you're a DNA scientist. Um, DNA is not going to be enough for most people and they're going to expect more and they're eventually going to get a type specimen. He goes, oh yeah, they're absolutely going to get a type specimen, they, that, that cannot be avoided. But to get the um, pieces set on the table, so academia accepts them as a species, there may be another route. So I'm all ears, right? Because I, I would like to spare one if I could. Um, and he said, if, if we could get um, repeated, and that's the key here, repeated footprints from the same individual combined with repeated DNA, whether it's eDNA or my, whatever, it doesn't matter, or, and repeated video or footage of these things from the same area. That would go a long ways towards proving the species in most scientists' mind. And event they would go out and get a specimen eventually and probably a handful of them, honestly. Yeah. But, but at the same time, I think all effort should be put into that. And that's where my effort it is the same general areas and i've been collecting data from the same general areas for a few years now three or four years and the museum is what brought those areas to me so
1: yeah yeah layers of evidence and and certainly i hope that the i hope we don't have just a body (laughs) of of some hunter that's going out there and uh it will, it, 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 will it will happen. It will happen,
0: and and that's why the education component of the museum is so important. Because we need to teach people that you know, like all these schlocky TV shows that depict Sasquatches as monsters and rampaging beasts and things. Even finding Bigfoot, every commercial, rah! I say, like, oh come on, that's 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 horse crap. You know, don't do that. Um, would it would be ridiculous to depict a, a gorilla like that nowadays? I think I think yeah. everybody would recognize that's absolutely ridiculous, and that's the way I see most t- most television and movie depictions of Sasquatches. Utterly ridiculous. They either go down the monster route or the uh, the paranormal route. And both yeah. of those things does damage to the species.
1: Well, and I want to circle back to Finding Bigfoot in a minute, but I do want to dip into Bigfoot and Beyond, the podcast. And I know you also have a Patreon that uh, supports and you have a lot of uh, bonus episodes that uh, get posted on the Patreon. Now, this... First off, congratulations, because you guys started a podcast in spring of 2019 uh, but, and had a boatload of episodes before a global pandemic when everyone else began starting their podcast. Mm-hmm. So well done. You were ahead of the I, curve.
0: I'd rather be lucky than good any day.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, so the what I like about it is it's very accessible for people that would not say that they are hardcore Uh, Bigfoot fans because anyone can dip into it you've got a a little bit of pop culture that comes up you've got these very fascinating interviews and it's also very conversational and it starts this episode starts almost like a cold call between you and Bobo and uh, that that just kind of fascinated me it it almost seems like how much preparation is going into the podcast uh in advance I can tell that you are showing up very much prepared and driving the car um but is this just like truly a cold call between you and Bobo
0: yeah yeah it kind of is I mean that's kind of that was the birth of the podcast anyway you know show is over we're thinking well I mean, what, are we, what are we gonna keep on doing and I realized well, I've talked to Bobo like every week anyway and people are always asking, well, I want to see you and Bobo on a show sometime or people they always want both Bobo and I are are very often the favorites in the emails that I receive. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm sure Matt and Renee are the favorites in the emails they receive, too. You know, but the ones that I kept getting is like it was Bobo and I. And, and I think that's partly because Bobo and I were such good friends. Now, of course, you know, I, I knew Matt. I've known Matt for as long as I've known Bobo, but I've hung out with Bobo just a, a, a lot more. I've I've hung, I hung out with Matt a lot before the show. Don't get me wrong, lots of trips and week-long trips here and there and stuff, but I I spent months and months on the road with Bobo before. Um I didn't didn't know Renée before the show, but I think that relationship that Bobo and I had, that friendship kind of comes through in a way, both on camera on the television show and also in the in the podcast as well. And so since we are already speaking about Bigfoot stuff every week, I said, "Well, why don't we try to do this and um, and Bobo wasn't busy, you know, so yeah, okay, we'll, we'll try it, you know, and, and and it worked, and at the end of the day, what I hear most is that, you know, people driving to work on Monday morning, listening to the podcast, they say, yeah, it's kind of like having, you know, Cliff and Bobo in the car with me on the way to work, we're just all hanging out talking, and um, it's always been like that, it, it's, it started from phone calls with, because I would, Bobo and I would talk to each other anyway, and catch, catch each other up, and what's happening, and I think at the end of the day, that's kind of what it is, it the pod, the podcast is hanging out with Cliff and Bobo and guests sometimes. you know
1: and and it really comes across that it's not as if you're name dropping the other people in the community, but it it truly comes across that you guys have that mileage behind you, that you have done a lot of field research, you have hung out a lot. And then, as you are doing this, you're also researching and hanging out and camping with legends and and these these giants in the field and it, it really feels like you're just yeah you're you're listening to a couple of buddies hang out and you and you want to be part of that you you want to chat and uh join that and now with that said the guests that you bring in it's a pretty wide array a lot of folks that we mutually know uh, has there been any rock star guests for you that bringing them on was really kind of kissing the ring as it were.
0: Hmm. Well, I I will say, I mean, it's always a pleasure to have Dr. Meldrum on. Jeff's a friend of mine when he comes by and he does events at the museum, he spends the night at the house. We're friends. Like he knows, Melissa and I, um, you know, I I, I can just call him and pick his brain about stuff. I'm very, very lucky because I've said it several times that Bigfoot is a small enough pool that sometimes your idols can become your friends. Um, but So it's always a pleasure to have Jeff on. In fact, we're going to have Jeff on for our 200th episode, which is coming up in March. Um, we're going to be recording that next week. And, uh, but other than that, um, there's been some people I've been very, very pleased to have on. Um, Gregory Fourth, who I mentioned earlier, who he, he's written two books now. The first one was one of the best ever written about a worldwide survey of relic hominoids. Um, and the stories behind it whether he believed them or not he was out there collecting these stories because he's a cultural anthropologist that's his gig um, collecting stories from indigenous tribes and people and looking into the possible realities behind them that book is called the um, images of the north or the southeast asian wild man it's a truly academic it's fantastic, and he published one in 2022 about his work, uh, in on the eastern side of uh, Flores. Um, uh, um, what is it? Um, between ape and man. He was, he was a big score, as far as I'm concerned, because he's world renowned, he's pretty really cool. Another fantastic guest, one that jumps out to my mind right now, is Gareth Patterson. Um, for uh, people my age, back in the 1970s, there was this movie about lions called uh, Born Free about rehabilitating lions and letting them loose. Gareth Patterson was that guy's sidekick at the time. So he's been working with African wildlife all of his career. He's a world renowned naturalist. He, he's like Jane Goodall, Dr. Jane Goodall. I don't think she has a primatology degree. I think she was given one after her work or something like that. I don't think she went to school for it necessarily. Could be wrong, maybe I am, I'm wrong a lot. Um, but he's one of these guys that uh, he may not have the academic credentials of like the Leahy's or somebody like that, but he has a tremendous amount of field work been living in Africa doing his thing. He started, um, he, he was hearing about the southernmost population of, of elephants in the world, in South Africa. And uh, he heard that they were pretty much extinct. Um, There, there used to be a large, uh, what do they call it, a herd, I guess, or a troop? No, it's a herd. A large herd of elephants down there. And over the last couple decades, they had dwindled down to one matriarch, one big matriarch. So he moved down to South Africa, got some grants and started studying these things. Well, and, and long story short, he basically found that they weren't almost extinct. There were dozens of these things But the local rangers and scientists didn't accept that until he started getting DNA evidence and proved them all wrong. Which just goes to show how elusive something as large as an elephant could be, right? Which is significant in itself as far as studying Sasquatches go, Um, because Sasquatches are a lot smaller than elephants. But during, I think, the first eight years, eight or nine years, again, my numbers are a little fuzzy, but I'm I'm correct in spirit here. Um, The first eight or nine years, he saw Sasquatches out in the field like seven, six or seven or eight times. Um, And he didn't know those things were even there. They call them Otangs there. And they might be Sasquatches, they might be a different species, we don't know. But um, he has personally seen them and several times with other people right next to him, um, like a half dozen or more times. Um, and nobody nobody is documenting this stuff. There's a few newspaper articles from the 70s and 80s reporting um, Sasquatch-like critters down in South Africa, but this guy is seeing them, and we scored, and he lives in South Africa, and the infrastructure is a little wonky at best, um, so we scored him for an interview. The sound quality is not the best, but it was an amazing interview about what he has observed and his thoughts on the subject, and we've stayed in some touch uh, ever since. So those are two of the big uh, the big fish, I guess, that we've caught over the years that I, I'm pretty stoked
1: about. So. Yeah. Do you think do you think that would be out of the various uh, species? Do you think that's the one or or I know you've done the orang pendek uh, project, which which species would you say? If you were to hazard a guess would be sort of the most consequential evidence that that could come forward. And I guess I mean sort of type specimen
0: consequential, uh, it would probably be the Sasquatch, because if they could survive here in the United States, virtually under our nose, they could be practically anywhere. Um, but any discovery of of a relatominoid or, you know, something like that, uh, a Yeti, a Yaren, orang pendek, even, even though those are something else, I think those are probably bipedal orangutans, um, some subspecies, some, some sort of thing, um, uh, the dang, any, any of these right. things, if any of them were uh, discovered, that would give a huge shot in the arm, in a good way, to the idea that they could be almost anywhere, um, I think uh, Sasquatches are probably most likely to be discovered at some point, even though the odds are strongly stacked against us. Because um, we're, there's actually people here looking for them, and also our gun laws. Essentially, you know, in in Indonesia, I don't think you're allowed to carry a firearm. I didn't look into it. I'm, again, I don't carry a firearm in anyway. But um, and I don't I don't think guns are legal in a lot of the countries and whatnot word these things are seen. But in the United States, like I mean kids are given guns. So we're a gun culture in a lot of ways for good or good or bad. It's not, it's not mine to decide, but since a lot of people are packing um, I think that the, the chances of somebody shooting one here is higher than probably almost anywhere in the world.
1: Yeah. And I also wonder about just sort of um encroachment and habitats and climate change. If that's, or, I mean, is, is there someone doing study on specifically that element to it about basically, are we flushing these things out of their habitats as we kind of move in?
0: I don't, you know, no one's specifically studying that because the data is so scarce to begin with, but I have noticed some patterns over the years. You know, I've, I'm not, I've got about almost 30 years of doing this under my belt now. Um, and what I've noticed is that a lot of the, the people who see Sasquatches on their properties, that um, we call them long-term witnesses. Um, they basically were building new properties out in the woods. Um, very, off, very often, not always. Very often, they were building new properties out in the woods, and the Sasquatches didn't get the notice and didn't leave, um, and they kept coming around. So these people, and event, and sometimes the Sasquatches stay around. Sometimes they don't. Um, and of course, Sasquatches living in an area doesn't mean that they're there all the time. They're, they they, they probably near as I can figure their their range is about 10 or 15 maybe 20 miles by about the same like that big of an area that's very very loose so then I could be very wrong or I could be even smaller I don't know um, so it, I think the encroachment thing yeah it affects sasquatches a bit I think in, I think of all the places in, in, in the United States that I worry most about Sasquatches is Florida. Um, because Floridians have this they, they're trying to pave everything, you know, it seems to me. They're it's all developing and everything. And of course it doesn't matter because in a few years it's gonna be underwater anyway. All that's gonna be, you know, be sucked away by, by 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 the rising, you know and whatever else. Um, but they seem to really enjoy paving things. So if anything, we're going to be isolating a couple populations of Sasquatches down there so they can't interbreed and get their genetic, get have a healthy gene pool. I think that's the only place that we need to worry about encroachment because Sasquatches are really good at what they do. Really good at what they do. And as my friend Tom tells me, you only own your property during the day. So at night they have free range and that's when they're most active anyway.
1: So. Yeah. Yeah. And and for Bigfoot and beyond, is there any kind of guests that you are actively, it's on your wish list, the, the folks that you really want to get on there?
0: Oh, I've got a whole list of people that we need to get on there. Yeah, I'd like to get Rick Knoll on there. Um, and I, I'm really intrigued by um, historic researchers. Um, and and that's because, let's get back to the NABC for a minute, the the Bigfoot Museum. I talked about the educational facet, but the, uh, the other one is, uh, well, there's two others, but the other... Uh, um, focus for us is finding and archiving historical research collections and saving them for, for the future. Because a lot of people are dying off. You know, that first generation is mostly gone now. Peter Byrne's still alive, but he's like 96 or 98 or something, or he might as well be 180, right? I mean, that's really old at this point. He's not going to last forever. So um, it's it's been one of my focuses to get historic researchers' collections. In fact, you can see behind me, um, all this over here, these boxes, and I, my, my racks are full of boxes down here. That's the Barbara Wasson collection. Barbara Wasson wrote the um, the, the book Sasquatch Apparitions. She was um, one of the early female researchers. And even to this day, female researchers are not well represented in the Bigfoot subject. It's more more of a sausage party, you know? I mean, there are some great women doing great things. Shelly Montana, for Shelly coming to Montana, she's wonderful. She's out there doing stuff. And there's a small, very small handful of others um, in, in the very small handful of people doing anything. Um, there's not a lot of people doing diligent, consistent work in the Bigfoot world. There's a lot of fans, but not not a lot of researchers, in my opinion. Um, so the Bigfoot and beyond thing, I would love to get more historical researchers on there because that's one of my main fascinations. And it's also one of my main focuses with the museum is archiving these historical perspectives and uh, situations and, 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 stories about the people who came before us. Because even though we know a lot more about Sasquatches now than they did back in the 60s and 70s, um, we're standing on their shoulders. We know as much now because of them, because they they made the foundation for us to build upon.
1: Yeah. And I I think I heard on the the podcast that you had acquired um the Barbara's correspondences uh yeah, and yeah. yeah i was like oh that's that's a nice uh, little treasure trove for you to to uh explore uh, that's that's yeah. a great one yeah. um the I, I i can't let you go without talking a little bit about finding bigfoot which popularly has has it's been said has introduced the term squatchin and squatchy into the lexicon how looking back and, and you've kind of referred to this a couple of times, but looking back this, this project, how do you feel like finding Bigfoot has aged?
0: Uh, you know, not, not bad, not bad. It's kind of like um, m- my wife, Melissa, it's kind of like, she, she always says, well, it's kind of like ghost hunters. Cause I think I, I'm not, I don't watch any ghost shows and which was just probably terrible because I'm sure some of your folks, you know, like clearly you have ghost follower folks, right. And uh, maybe some folks on these shows, I've don't watch them i don't watch it. of course i don't watch bigfoot tv either i just don't believe television honestly but um ghost hunters was kind of the first right um and there in and now there's 600 shows um weekly on on ghosts of some form or another right um and and even though finding bigfoot technically was not the first um we were the first big hit that did that. There was another show called Mysterious Encounters um, in the early 2000s that was hosted by a great researcher named Autumn Williams. Um, and it turns out MoneyMaker was on some of episodes, and so was Bobo. Um, it, was, it was done by a guy named Doug Hycheck who later went on to do Monster Quest on the History Channel. Later, that was his baby. But but that was the first weekly serial sort of Bigfoot thing. But it never gets the credit. So I want to give credit where credit is due. But um, but Finding Bigfoot was the first one that really popularized it. And I think. Uh, I actually, I watched a Finding Bigfoot like in December, I think. And that was the first time I've seen a Finding Bigfoot in probably about a year and a half or two years. Um And I don't even watch the shows I'm in now, by the way, whatever that's worth. I go film them. I come home and I don't watch them afterwards because I'm not always happy with the way I'm edited. And I would just rather not know anything about that stuff because I don't trust television. Um, I'm assuming if it's on TV, it's a lie at this point. Um, I I can only believe the shows that I have direct contact with where I can vouch for, which is Finding Bigfoot, of course, Um, because people often accuse us of lying and making things up. and It's not true. It's not true. It's television. So I'll tell you, we didn't have to take a helicopter to get anywhere. That's just TV. That's fun. You know, and I appreciate that because I taught 10 year olds for a living. I taught fifth graders and I understand a good story hook and getting people enticed and excited, you know. But when it came to the Bigfoot stuff, we never lied. We never lied. We could be incorrect, but we never lied. If we said we heard something, we did. If we we say we believe something, we did. Um, and, and that's something that I don't think a lot of shows can say, man. I really don't. I mean, I hate to say it because I, I know you're involved in the media world and stuff, but again, from my experience and the battles that we went through and the victories that we scored um, being able to tell the truth and firing producers who, who hoaxed us or, um, or not, you know, even to the point where like one time we got this product placement thing from payday candy bars, you know, or we're going to put a candy bar out and see if a Bigfoot ate it. Um, And I was chosen to do it. And I'm thinking, Oh man, all right, well let's go do this. And on the way out, the producer said, don't worry about it cliff. We'll just put it out and then we'll film you picking it up right away. And, And I said, no, no, we will not. This is finding Bigfoot we don't lie. So I actually forced the producers to put the candy bar out with a game camera for two or three nights. And then we came back then and picked it up and we didn't get anything, but that's how important it was for us. I could have got off easy and lazy. We did not because the truth is important. Um, the, the, the animal planet hired us. I I believe the story from animal planet, um, Uh, was that they hired actors, which is what most of these shows are populated with anyway, actors. Um, And it turns out the actors couldn't pull it off. They didn't know very much about the subject and blah, blah, blah. So they started mining the Bigfoot community, and they somehow found us. Three of us knew each other already, and Renee knew Matt, and that's it. Um, They hired real Bigfooters. So our thing was like, all right, we're really Bigfooting, and that's the way it's going to be. Um, they weren't very happy with it at first season, but we, we, we kind of whipped them in the shape. We're, we're one of those rare shows. And I don't know if you've listened to the podcast. We also have uh, our, our producers on sometimes. And they all say it, man. They all say Finding Bigfoot was the most real reality show we've ever worked on. You know, and that's something that's something to be proud of. Yeah, it's schlocky. It's TV. I know what it is. It is what it is. Um, but We never lied about the Bigfoot stuff. The story stuff, that's all pieced together in the editing room. We didn't have to take a speedboat. That was just fun. But the Bigfoot stuff's real.
1: Yeah, and it was, and and the, you know, having spoken to all four of you times and a couple of you together uh, throughout the years, it was, all of you did come across as authentic. And yeah, there was some some of the the scary roars and graphics as bumpers, but the actual part you know, and 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 I always actually I I did enjoy the the town hall setup or the you know the interview, but then getting to the the field, uh, certainly it's produced and trust me, well, like yes I check this out
0: check check this out this is uh, something that um, being tangential to the TV world you probably would appreciate uh, that a lot of people don't know yeah th- those town halls were real okay like we we invited witnesses we called up people and bring your friends bring this per- whatever bring whoever and um and you know, when we, like, especially after season two or three, like, we ran a long time, we started filming in 2010, it went off the air in 2018, it's a long time, man, Um, by the middle-ish of the show onwards, we had it down, our producers were pretty good Bigfooters by that point, they knew what we needed, they knew what we wanted, they knew what we would and would not do, and they, they, they formed the show to us, and with the town halls, now my, you know, TV is expensive, right? I, I don't know for a fact, but I, I think that each episode costs three or $400,000 to make. I don't know that. I don't, I don't know that, but that's what I think. Damn. There's, um, I can figure it. It's a lot. Yeah. And you know, that's a tremendous amount of money and responsibility for the production company to make their masters happy, right? Like they're the animal planet folks. Like, but let's, I'm going to make, do everything I can to make you happy. And there's a lot of pressure on them, but th- this is what eventually came around with the ping pong productions, um, which, which, they did a great job with them. I'm really happy with them. We had some bumpy roads because TV is TV. But once we all got in the groove, man, it was solid and they were supported us. It was wonderful. Um, but when town hall meetings, we knew we had a couple ringers there because you have to have all the bases covered. You have to, right? We knew that we had what is it, three different witnesses that we were gonna look into. We we invited them specifically for that, but If somebody else showed up that we weren't aware of, somebody with footprints or photographs, we could choose those people and then bump one of the other ringers that we had. And we could rearrange the schedule, which they did almost every single week, and let us interview the witnesses that we wanted to. Even though we already set up with two, two or three different people, we might choose you can't be sure, but we might choose you. So they're expecting it. And we got some people who are pretty butthurt over the years about us not choosing them because they were led to believe they were going to be chosen. But the fact is the entire production would get rearranged if me, Matt or Renee or Bobo thought that, no, we got to do them. And if they're available on Wednesday, we got to do them. And they would rearrange everything. So they went into every, the production went into every single episode with hundreds of thousands of dollars on the line and they were ready to change and improvise and manipulate the schedule in order to make the Bigfooters happy so we could go talk to the people that we thought were most interesting. And what other production does that? You know, you're, you're, it's like a jazz song. man. you go in not knowing what you're gonna play yet um, and then it comes out as, as beautiful, you know, at the end. That's, that's an interesting TV show because we went in not knowing where we we're gonna be filming this week Although, if we had to, we had people that we
1: could fall back on. Would you go back to a series? I I don't know. It'd
0: be it'd have to be a really special series. I mean, yeah. you can tell I'm a little jaded from TV. Um, well, you, you know, it would have to be a really special series. And I've pitched a few things here and there, but you know, it's it. But the, the way that the um the the networks are seeing things now, like whenever there's a cryptozoology thing, like like literally I say, hey, is there any way we can put ghosts in there? Hey, what about orbs? And it's like no. No, you're, yeah. you're doing damage to the subject. Paranormal, paranormal thoughts on Sasquatches and hoaxes do damage to the subject. There's no other way around it. Now, that's not to say that people aren't experiencing weird paranormal things. Just those things aren't Bigfoot, man, at the end of the line. You know?
1: Well, and and it's oh. so especially when I first started writing about all this stuff, um, I was working mainstream media outlets and everything. And this was fascination and trying to convey some of the messaging to other people. And then the TV stuff happened and you're trying to present your present yourself credibly. And for me operating, okay. According to theory, this was, you know, this is a book. This is what someone said. I'm can't n- validate it. 100%. I'm presenting what other people are saying and they seem pretty solid That said, you end up in these production meetings and you're talking to someone and you're talking about something that you know a lot of. Maybe you're going to make a TV show or documentary or whatever. with. And then there's the person that comes in the room or the the network executive that is going to say the most batshit crazy thing or off base thing that you're like, you, I need to go now. Check, please, Mm -hmm. without necessarily naming names or you can name names, but. Is there, is there a moment in the entertainment biz, that chapter of your life, that comes to mind like that? Where you're like, this this is the person that I need to just walk away from right now. This is just crazy.
0: Oh, there's a lot of people who I don't tend to associate with. But, you know, the, but I want to be clear about something. Just because somebody thinks that stuff is real doesn't mean we can't get along. Um, like Tom Powell is a really good friend of mine, and he's written a couple paranormal Bigfoot books. He thinks they live in underground lava tubes under Mount Shasta, and do all, And, and that he has got a pretty crazy ideas as far as I'm concerned. But he, he says, Cliff, I'm so glad you're doing the biological thing. That means I don't have to. And I feel the same about him. Chase whatever you like to chase. Chase whatever you think these things are. Be interested and participate in the subject however it seems fit for you. Um, but at the end of the day, I think we're going to find out these things are perfectly normal animals. Um,
1: but I, I, I think like- more like the, the, and yeah, sure. Like, I, I know there's the people that kind of go the more metaphysical route. I mean, more specifically like the network executive angle, the, you know, Hey Cliff, uh, love your work, uh, love what you've been doing. But now uh, we're working on a show where, uh, we're going to pay a million dollars for someone to hunt and kill Bigfoot uh, or, or, or the, I mean, specifically the executive boardroom uh, conversations. Is there one that com- comes to mind where you're like, th- this is so incredibly toxic or so way off base and you clearly don't know anything about what I do or about the field and I need to go now?
0: No. And that's because I don't get involved in in, in, uh, um, in productions like that. Um, Animal Planet was nothing but supportive of us. And um, at- um the, the production company they do a bunch of other shows too um they were trying to make uh, the shows that they normally make you know and uh and it didn't work with us because we weren't the, a normal cast member we took it real, we took the subject more seriously than the tv show um and so that didn't work with us we weren't willing to play ball because we're real bigfooters and big real bigfooters tend to be pig-headed stubborn individuals that you really can't tell them what to do anyway um and that was us That's, and and I, that was the most cooperative amongst us you know like Matt and Bobo were downright combative you know <laughs> you know it was insane a couple nights um but um but Animal Planet was nothing but supportive Nothing but supportive the entire way, and um, and and again, the production company came around once they figured out how to work with us and how to inter- interact with us and what we needed. They were nothing but supportive either. Um, but it was that first season that was bumpy, and we did. We actually did a behind-the-scenes special on that with Keith Hoffman, the pro- uh, executive producer of the show from Animal Planet, and we talked about that stuff. Like on the t- on the show, they showed a horse facing the camera, so it looks upright and about seven feet tall, and um, the the editors you know, massage that to make it look like we saw a Sasquatch. And we all just said, no, we didn't. And then we talked about that with Keith Hoffman on the air on on television. So I know that stuff's, you know, okay to say, because we later went on to make a great real show. And now I get called for productions, you know, probably half a dozen times a year. And I always lead, I always lead with the, with this, I go, I'm willing to speak with you, but you need to know, If you are looking for someone who's going to pull, just, you know, uh, pull the party line and say whatever story you want me to say and just go with what you've already written up, don't even bother writing back. If you want someone who has a lot of experience in the subject to say what they really think and, and you're not going to edit or censor me or tell me to say something that I don't think is true, we can continue this conversation. And about half the time, I don't get callbacks. Mm -hmm. Which tells me something right, which really tells me something. Um, So if you see me on a show, I've had that discussion with the executive producers and they have decided to go with someone who will insist on telling the truth. I'm doing this one show. It's a great show. It's called um, The The Proof is Out There. I don't I, I don't I think it's history or something. I don't even know. Again, I don't watch my own shows. Um, and they all know, and when they, and they have, they had this one thing, you know, like you see starlings doing these amazing, yeah, like yeah. flight patterns and stuff. Somebody freeze, fr- freeze framed this thing where the, the, the birds themselves made the shape of a bird. Right. And they were kind of pushing the story of some sort of like overt, like hive mentality amongst them. And, and And I said, no, man, that's, that's pareidolia. And, and, and they said, Hey Cliff, now I know what you already think. Can you say that it looks like a bird? Because it does, right? Oh, yeah, I can tell that. That's the truth. It does look like a bird. And then I went on to talk about what pareidolia is and defined it. That And they have some pretty squishy things that some, in my opinion, clear hoaxes and a lot of things that are pretty interesting. Um, and they let me do my research and tell my truth on that show. And I love that show because of it. Oh, and they also did a, one of the best um, segments ever on the Patterson-Gimlin film, which I found to be very, very intriguing and great um, with Dr. Meldrum and Bill Munns and Isaac Tien. Great people, great show. So yeah, if you see me on a show, um, I don't know how they edit me because I don't watch it, but if you see me on a show, you know that I am speaking the truth at the time I say it, which is kind of nice, you know, because uh, my integrity is everything when it and when it comes to this subject.
1: I, I feel like I've got a pretty good track record of saying of saying what I'm going to say, honestly, truthfully, based on my knowledge and but man, those edits, because yeah. when you're telling that story, my concern is like Sure. It looks like a bird, but that's Paradoia uh, cut. Looks like a bird. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, I, I'm going to wrap up with you, but I just have two final questions. Really? One is just a silly question because uh, throughout the show, and then you do this job, like you're traveling across North America, you're going to Australia, Indonesia, uh, Vietnam, China, Nepal, where UK, Brazil, I'm sure I'm missing something, but It's and it's and it's great, like I, it's fun, it's grueling, but it's fun. Is there any travel horror stories this continent beyond that still lingers? Uh, whether I know you guys had some run ins with some helicopters, you eat a lot of things on the road that doesn't always agree with you, anything that you just want to throw out there, your the one that's that's your nightmare scenario.
0: Well, I mean, we, uh, we there was a problem in Nepal, it turns out. Um, we were pretty far out. Of course, I don't know if you've ever been to Nepal, but there are no roads for a lot of the places that we were going to. We had to be helicoptered there, and then we would send the Sherpas walking, you know, like 17 miles with all this gear and stuff like that. And I felt bad because I was getting a helicopter ride and they had to walk it. But uh, so we were way up in the Himalayas in the Aran Valley, and um, Bobo had the camping segment. And Chad Hamill, our, our supervising uh, field producer, was out there filming them. Our, 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 our camping segment is the cast member, me, Mad, or Bobo, and a camera person with a handheld video recorder. And that's it. That's all there is out there. Um so Chad and Bobo were out there at this lake. And then uh, these people and out out there, um it the, the town is largely um they're they're largely Hindu culture, essentially. But up in the mountains, the monastery the Buddhist monasteries kind of run the show. That's like the only form of government that really exists out there. The the Buddhist temples kind of have their territories, and that's how they divvy up um, political control, essentially, out there in, in the in the woods and the mountains. Um. Uh, a neighboring a neighboring temple, or maybe, I don't remember if they're Hindu or if they're a uh, Buddhist, I don't remember, but uh, we were under the jurisdiction, I guess, of one Buddhist temple, which is where, if you watch the show, Bobo goes to that temple, and um, the, the monk spits saliva on a wound Bobo has, and that that's where all that was filmed. But Bobo was camping at a lake out there, and I guess the rival temple, or maybe is a different faction, some sort of faction, I don't know, came through and they were not happy that Bobo and uh, Chad were there. And then... Um, but they kind of went off. And then that night, a terrible torrential downpour happened and um, a a trail that they'd been building for years, I guess uh, there's a landslide that took it out and they came back and, and blamed Bobo for the flood, which I thought was interesting that Bobo was somehow elevated to like minor deity status um, that he can control the weather. And it was him that did that. Um, And then, so we had to film at that lake the next day or no. Yeah. I didn't know that day or the next day. I don't know. My, my, sense of time, squishy, elastic. Um, when we showed up there, well, they sent like a whole group of guys out there to make sure we couldn't film. And, um, and, and we had, uh, we had like the, um, this guy, um, who's like tied into all the business interests and I'm sure it's kind of shady. I don't know that for a fact, but it sure felt shady. Like Like a fixer. Yeah. Well, and uh, yeah, like a local fixer and he hit me, but he was tied into all these different trekking things and there's money exchanging hands and you know, you're in a different country. So there's probably bribes going on and there was kind of a weird thing. He was out with us and, and, but, this group of people from the rival faction came in and they were insistent that we weren't going to be able to film there. But then our, our Buddhist monks that we were going to film with there, they came forward and like, I almost watched Buddhist monks get in a fist fight. You know, that was, that was not, it was mind bending in its own sort of way. Cause you figure Buddhism is all about pa- being passive and, you know, all that sort of stuff. But no, they, they were getting ready to have a fist fight. And then the, the rival faction allowed us to film a short little scene there. And then they they drove us away and they drove us away with homemade guns, which was a lot of fun. Um, like with like zip guns and stuff like that. And so they were shooting blindly off into the woods when we couldn't see them anymore. Um, so that was kind of sketchy, you know, having shots fired your general direction at random while you're trying to film a TV show, you know. Um, that was kind of sketchy. Cause yeah, we, again we there's no way to get home. There's yeah. no way to get home, but I would those watch guys that ended movie up going the jail. Our local fixer who's connected to all sorts of uh, probable thugs and high level of authority um got all those guys arrested <laughs> and thrown in jail and stuff and and he was going to let them out after 5 years for being nice or something. I don't know. It's sketchy stuff I don't want to be involved in, man. But going to a different countries like that you just figured, "Oh man, you may be smiling, but I sense a forked tongue behind those teeth."
1: You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know? I would watch that movie. I would read the uh The the cliff uh, memoir. (laughs) uh, Just just a final question, because since uh, you are since you do also have the museum and we were talking about one of the kind of tent poles of the museum is education. Because there's media out there, because we are inundated with social media and television shows and news reports and and people are, you know, got something to sell. Or maybe some people are authentically trying to present something that uh, is wrong. For media literacy, what would you advise to people if they're seeing these stories emerge, if they're seeing these pictures and captures emerge, what to look for? What to look for as far as sussing it out a little bit, how to... um, immediately dismiss something or just to be better consumers and more literate with the information that is being presented with regards to Bigfoot?
0: I think that uh, one of the first things I look for is a pattern of putting the attention on the animals instead of themselves. I think that's uh, probably one of the, the first things I look for. Um, it's hard to tell in one or two posts on social media or something, but if it's always about that person, and there's a picture of that person in every single picture you see, um, and they're talking about what they did, and they're the ones, and I'm doing this and whatever, then then the focus isn't in the right place, in my opinion. Um, when you look at my posts, yeah, there's pictures of my wife and I at the beach and things like that because I'm a person, right? But um, but you see a lot of pictures of a footprint in the ground or that sort of thing. Um, it, it's about the animals, I think more than the researchers. Um, I'm in a I'm in a very peculiar place because I was a face on TV for so long, um, but again, I'm trying to refocus everything. I'm trying to my museum is good in itself. I try not to be necessarily. I don't want it to be tied to me. It's not a Cliff Berrickman Museum. It's a Bigfoot Museum. So I think that that's one of the uh, differentiators as when I when I look at social media posts, if it's. I busted this, I found this, but instead of this was found, it's very subtle, but there's a certain flavor, a certain color to, to what they're painting, you know, a certain hue. And I think that you have to look at people over a long period of time. Um, Also look for past hoaxes and, and people, do they admit mistakes? Like I've said things are real and I've been incorrect and I've always said, oh, I was wrong. I don't try to cover it up and scramble to make sure that I look right. It's not about my image. It's about the animals, you know? in general, I mean, and in, in, uh, as a catch-all, I say if it's on TV or the internet, don't believe it until you have a reason to believe it. And I, and that's the hard part because most people don't have a good network um, that they can tap into to find out what's real and what's not. Um, at this point, I, I don't even really pay attention to what's out there because I've got, some, I, I cast footprints this week. I've got several, um, I've got several research areas that I focus on um, and what I do takes all my time. I don't know what anybody else is doing, but I know that if it's important, if there's something significant happening, I will hear about it eventually because one of my trusted researcher friends, um, I have a very small circle and it's growing smaller all the time, Um, uh, and somebody in that circle will know somebody involved in it or will have heard something from somebody who has inside information. So that's where I leave it. I, I stay I keep my business to myself. I keep my nose to my own grindstone and I assume that everything else that pops up on the news or TV or anything is just white noise. It's just background radiation until it comes to my attention in another way. And then I'll start paying attention to it. And having said that there's less than five things in the last 10 years that I thought I think are probably worthy of my attention in that way.
1: Mm -hmm. All right then. Well, I'm glad that uh, you took the time for this, and I don't know if we we're worth the time, but I appreciate
0: it. <laughs> no, 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 I'm happy to talk to you. I don't mind doing this at all. I really do, because um, my, my thought is that, like, you know, you, you could get somebody who says that Bigfoots are shape-shifting UFO riding interdimensional orb things, and God, I it's, it's almost my duty to be out here telling what I think is the truth, even though they may be thinking that's the truth, too. Um, it's my duty to come out here and fill the airwaves with what I think is probably the truth and what was probably best for the animals.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, my guest is Cliff Berkman of the Bigfoot and Beyond podcast and Patreon and also of the North American Bigfoot Center, which has an active website. If you can't make it out there to Oregon, check out the website and check out their Patreon. And that, I mean, those Patreons really keep, operations afloat as well i know that's like a really good supportive system so people that like your work that's a good way to show support right
0: i would think so yeah yeah absolutely and yeah. Um, and look uh, if, if you join the bigfoot and beyond patreon you get an extra you know 45 minutes or, or so of content every single week it's five bucks if you join the museum patreon um, there's a $6 a month level. Um, and there's a couple above that too, because when we started the Patreon, people started giving us more money and I didn't feel good about it. So I wanted to create other levels in order to have, they have some value to what the extra money they're sharing with us, you know, but even the, I think the $6 a month level, the lowest level is the most action packed. It's the most content rich because you get, um, Updates on what we're doing at the museum, um, including our historical archive stuff. All of our field work gets posted there because I don't like being abused and bullied online with on on Facebook. So I don't put anything on Facebook. Um, it's all goes to our members because I know that they are there. I know that they're there and they want to be there. And and you get two free documentaries that we make in shop every single month about what we're up to in the field, or deep dives into pieces of uh, data and and evidence and why they're significant, historical research. All these things are covered in in our video documentaries, and you get two of those every single month. They're usually between 10 and 20 minutes long.
1: That's incredible. That's great. That's a, that's a lot. It keeps us busy. I'll tell you that we'll work our asses off for our, our patrons. Yeah, Yeah. that's great. Uh, And I know you're not a big fan of social media these days, but uh, for people that do want to support you on social media and, and support the museum and podcast, how can they do so?
0: Well, I mean, the museum and I are are both prevalent um, on, 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 on social media, whether I like it or not. Um, We all have the Facebook pages and Instagram, but I am personally most active on Twitter because it's hard to uh you know get into anything with 150 or 180 characters or whatever it is nowadays so you know yeah yeah and i like reading articles and i don't like i don't like you know, seeing people's dinner. I don't care about that. You know, I like reading articles about paleoanthropology and I find most of those on Twitter. So
1: I, I'm (laughs) a diehard Twitter guy since the very beginning. So I'm still there even though it's a dumpster fire sometimes, but, uh, Oh yeah. It's a
0: total shit show, man. But it is what it is. (laughs) And, um, I follow some interesting people. And even though I, 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 most, most of my feed nowadays seems to be from people I have no interest in following. Um, those people who I do follow are still there, and I can look them up if I need to. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, Cliff, thanks so much for your time. And for everyone out there that's watching and is going to be listening to this in podcast form, thank you for joining. This has been Talking Strange. And if you have stories you'd like to share, it's strange and unusual. Email, email us at talkingstrange at denigeek.com. I'm Aaron Sagers. Until next time, be kind, stay spooky, and keep it weird. Talking Strange is a part of the Den of Geek Network, available wherever you listen to other podcasts. If you like what we're doing, share Talking Strange with your friends and fellow spooky nerds. And please, subscribe, rate, and leave a nice review. If you have a strange or paranormal story you would like to share with us, please email talkingstrange at denofgeek.com for a chance to have it read on a future episode. For video episodes of Talking Strange, check out twitch.tv denofgeektv and youtube.com denofgeekus. And please follow at TalkStrangePod on Twitter and at Aaron Sagers on Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon for more paranormal pop culture content.